Now, when time allots, we jump into Proverbs. So as you're opening your Bible, go sort of in the middle of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Proverbs 11, starting with verse 12. Proverbs 11, starting with verse 12. It says, He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. He who is devoid of wisdom. Well, we know that ultimately wisdom comes from the creator, the architect of everything you see around you. Something you can see in a microscope or a telescope. The architect, God our Father, is the, the designer of all that. So uh, if you don't have, you're not concerned about the things of God, those who are not, they're ungodly, they're going to be devoid of that wisdom. And the wisdom that also tells us to respect each other. You know, the person's only going to regard human life if it's their own human life if they're devoid of that wisdom. So they'll despise their fellow man or, or, or woman. But a man of understanding holds his peace. Proverbs 29, 11 says, the fool says everything that is on our mind. And sometimes you're laughing because we've all said everything that's on our mind at least one or two times or more. And uh, it's foolish. And you try to take those words back, you know. But we try not to hurt others. We try to hold our peace. We try to be at peace at all men, if possible, the Bible says. So the man of understanding holds his peace out of love. Verse 13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. A talebearer, nothing sacred. They hear something personal. They can't wait to run and stir the pot and tell other people. And, you know, it goes across the country and back, so to speak. So a talebearer reveals secret. Uh, and honestly, people like that really have a bored life. Their lives are boring, and um, they have to find pleasure in stirring the pot or seeing other people uh, have strife or um, just telling other folks secrets. Uh, but a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Now, this is the person that you want to be accountable to, right? If you have a struggle, you know, you're a guy and you have a guy friend, you know, strong Christian brother, and you tell him, listen, this is what I struggle with. I need you to pray for me, and if I call you up, please answer the phone and talk me out of doing that I should, talk me out of doing something that I shouldn't be doing. So a faithful spirit is the one that we all want to be accountable to, that we all want to bear our burdens to and receive their burdens, right? Uh, it's important. Verse 14, it says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Where there's no counsel, the people fall. Leadership must come from godly leaders. That's what we're looking for, godly wisdom. Um, or there is collapse. We saw that in Germany in World War II, a country of brilliant uh, te technical, um, you know, cultural, and awesome people, the German people. But the leadership caused that country to fall in the 1940s. I remember reading about Klaus von Stauffenberg. There was a lot of Germans who resisted the Nazi movement. Of course, they were put to death by the SS, and so was he. But he said he was on the inside, and he was plotting against Hitler. And he said in his memoirs, it was like a madhouse, listening to Hitler and Goebbels and Himmler and all these people talk because they were crazy. And if the German people only knew what they were doing in those secret uh, corners. But the people fell. A country fell. And that's not the only one, and we'll see more to come. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, right? We want to be surrounded and want uh, leadership to have godly values. I mean, look at our country. What direction are we going in? That's something that we should be praying about, right? Um, it's important. Verse 15, it says, He who is surety for a stranger will suffer for it, 
but one who hates being surety is secure. Surety for a stranger, maybe a co-signer on a loan, you put up collateral for someone, or even as small as writing a character reference for someone, okay? It may come back to haunt you if you haven't prayed about it or you don't know that person well, or you feel pressured to do it because there's a familial tie or a, it's expected of you. It could come back to hurt you. You could end up paying a loan that wasn't yours, and I've seen this happen, right? Um, some have had their credit ruined being co-signers or surety for a stranger, right? So consider the character and definitely pray about it before you make a huge life-changing decision like that. Um, we see that these four verses are really interpersonal relationships, right? This block. Now, when we go to 1 Corinthians 7, if you go forward, many books in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, we'll see also interpersonal relationships, but more of a, an affection type of relationship, more of a uh, marital engagement, um, things, to, things, things to that nature. We saw the last time that the Apostle Paul answered questions on marriage and divorce, and today he answers questions on singleness and remarriage. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as, they, as though they did not have wives, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. The Apostle Paul now answers the last of a series of questions on relationships. And we've been covering this, including today, the last three chapters have been on these relationship issues. Um, he's going to finish up with singleness and remarriage, and then we're going to move on next Sunday to chapter 8, which is, kind of changes the channel a little bit. But verse 26 is very important and key to what he's saying here. He speaks about this present distress. Something was going on in that time period that... The Apostle Paul was answering questions, but also in the context of this present distress. Most uh, probably this is going, or this is a, um, uh, an idea that he had, or the Lord gave him that hard times were coming. Uh, the Nero persecutions uh, had it started in some way, and were going to continue and make the Christians miserable. So understand a clear contextual issue regarding Paul's guidelines, and understand much of the following is colored by this background. But as always, everything in the scripture, no matter when it was written, 2,000 years later or 3,000 or whenever that book was written, we can still make applications to their lives, and that's what I'm going to focus on. In light of this present distress, we need to be, or he said that we, they needed to be less concerned about marital status as they should have been concerned in serving the Lord because the spread of the gospel, hey guys, it's going to be curtailed or completely hampered. So we need to start while the day is light, moving and, and, and serving the Lord, right? Jesus also spoke about a believer's vigilance and urgency 
in times of distress and persecution, and we saw that in Matthew 24. But what about our present distress today, in 2009, right? Thousands of years later. Maybe it's the economy. I know many who have lost um, you know, money in the stock market or retirement funds or uh, 401ks, deferred comp, just the horror stories. Uh, a lot of money has been lost. But, you know, how, how am I gonna pay my kids' education? Will I ever retire? At this age, do I have to go back to work? This could be our present distress because every Christian generation has a present distress, which can tend, if we're not careful, to take our eyes off of serving the Lord and put them on ourselves and focus inward. But that's a temptation, folks, that we have to resist. It wasn't just good for the Corinthians. It's good for us, too. How many of us would be disappointed the way we served God if Christ came for us tonight? And as I ask these questions, I'm going to pause so that we can think about that. I would add, persecution is probably coming. It's everywhere else. Why not come here, right? If big things happen in the United States, you know, something with the government or another disaster, or if it's bad enough, our money's not going to be worth anything anyway. It's not important. Ken Graves, Pastor Ken Graves, um, somebody gave me a CD from the West Coast Pastors Conference, and this one sermon that he did I really liked. It was called Prodigal Nation. He said, you know, there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of preachers t talking about doom and gloom and hoarding and stuff. And he said, you know, less panic, less hoarding, and more opportunity to give hope to a hopeless world. We're supposed to be the ones with the level heads, right? We're supposed to be the ones with the answers. If the world's running around going like this with their hair on fire, are we following them? Or, are we, you know, we got the fire extinguisher saying, it's going to be okay, let's talk about this. We're supposed to be the ones with the level head. We have the answers in the scripture, you know? So let's got to snap out of it. Verse 28, it says, he basically says, if you change your marital status under these conditions, though you haven't sinned. Apostle Paul was given his guidelines, giving his opinion. He was asked, but it wasn't in the realm of law, right? Helpful guidelines, not commandments. He said, I will try to help you to prevent trouble in the flesh. Now, that's an interesting word because our bodies, there's two words in the Greek. There's sarx and soma. In the um, medical field, we get the word somatic, of the body proper. But the word sarx is different. Sarx means really human nature with all of its frailties, and we know it as the flesh, maybe the, the sinful side of us that craves things that we shouldn't crave. So I'm going to try to prevent trouble in the flesh because this present distress that was going on at the time of the Corinthians, in addition to the normal issues with getting two selfish sinners together and becoming one flesh, it's going to be pretty heavy. It's going to be a, a heavy thing that you're going to have to deal with. So the Apostle Paul had experience, and he also had the Apostle's foresight to try to spare the Corinthians from impending problems. Now, this is an interesting verse, or a few verses, 29 and 30. He says the following. The, the time is coming that those who have wives to be as though they didn't have wives. Now, the carnal person, person will read into this, okay? It doesn't mean act like you're a single person. It doesn't mean that you can go on and have another relationship. What it means is that there's a serious situation coming. And a lot of the things that we enjoy, our marriages, you know, um, even he says, it, weep as though you couldn't weep. A time to weep and mourn. There's no time for that, okay? Um, to rejoice as though they didn't rejoice. To celebrate, right? To buy as if they didn't have time to possess. There's no time for this stuff. This is prophetic. He's saying, here comes a time where 
Um, even the, the natural abilities of, of our character or our natural emotions or the things that we do in life stages is going to be curtailed, all right? So this present distress is going to put a, a, a hamper on that. And honestly, we shouldn't live our lives based solely on pleasures and comforts anyway, right? It shouldn't be a hindrance to serving. You know, in our country, our culture is a little bit hedonistic. You go to different parts of the world and, you know, they don't worship pleasure as much as Americans do. And I'm not, listen, I love my country. I'm very patriotic. Um, I would fight to defend my country. You know, I, in my other uh, profession, I uphold the Constitution and what's right. But, you know, there are some aspects of our culture that are anomaly to the rest of the world. They are hedonistic. And, and pleasure sometimes and comforts with Americans, and even it's seeped into the church, will hinder us from really serving the Lord. And I'm going to say this a few times. Eternity is a long time, too long to have regrets about what we should have done in this life. Verse 31, he says, the Apostle Paul, use this world, but don't misuse it. Make good use of this world, but don't grow attached to it. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. I'm going to turn to a, a parable in Luke 16. Luke chapter 16, starting with, well, I'm going to start in the, in the beginning. Jesus said to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the uh, stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And this is the commentary that Jesus has on the situation. Verse 9, he says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or wealth, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. This is very interesting. Here's a servant who accusation is brought against him and he's going to be kicked out from being a servant so he's like you know i'm too ashamed to beg i can't dig what am i going to do so he acts very shrewdly i i would say that probably on both ends to maybe impress his master in some respect but he says clearly that if i'm kicked out i've got somewhere to go so he, he does these deals and he you know maybe the master is waiting months to get paid or years from these folks but he says listen i'll do it at a discount give the money and of course according to the scripture he must have given it to the master because the master changes his attitude towards the servant but he says that the sons of this world act shrewdly you know they know how to use this world's goods unfortunately they use it for themselves but the sons of light the believers 
sometimes we have a problem with using what's in the world or using the abilities that God's given us and we waste them and squander them. Like the guy who put his talent in a handkerchief and, and buried it in the ground while all the other ones were doing business with that talent. Another good scripture. So the point is, do we use this world for everlasting habitations or do we misuse it? Or do we use it for ourselves? Important questions there. Some people waste their whole lives, whole lives hoping to amass wealth. You ever do the research on those uh, who won the lottery? I've checked this out. It's actually very sad. The majority of those who win big money in the lottery find that their lives get ruined. Even if they started out as the middle class, they have all this money, they don't know what to do with it, and they end up poor. In one tragic incident, there was a man um, in his 50s. He left his wife and his kids. You know, money changed them. Started messing around with people he shouldn't have been messing around with. Um, and eventually his life was so decadent at the end that he ended it with a shotgun in his mouth pulling the trigger. That's where his life ended, from winning the lottery. Because money sometimes is like a drug. And you, you take the drug and it, it, it draws you in and you keep wanting more and more of that drug and you can't break that addiction, right? And then there's others who deal with, I know brothers who deal with mil so much money in one day, more money than I'll ever see, but it doesn't affect them. It's like they got the inoculation. They're, they're kind of immune to that having an effect on them. They own the world's goods, but the world's goods don't own them. It's very important to understand. Oh God, why can't I just win the lottery? Maybe he knows better. Maybe he knows you better than you know yourself and it wouldn't be good for you. And when I say maybe, I'm being facetious. Of course he does. Do we use the unrighteous mammon of the world, folks, to further everlasting habitations? It's an important question. Now, we don't have to be millionaires to serve God. Think about this. You could use your home. You can use your home in a variety of ways to bless others. Right? It could be a place of shelter and refuge. It could be a place of prayer. You, know, you could have um, you know, Bible study, anything. Right? Your apartment. Well, my apartment's small. It doesn't matter. Some people live out in Mexico in little cardboard boxes. You have a nice apartment. It doesn't matter. Your car. Oh, my car is beat up. Yeah, but maybe you can give someone a, a ride to work or, or church right? and bless them that way. Or my time. Sometimes we'd rather just write a check and psh, be done with it because you know, our time is sacred to us. It's funny, after the women's devotion, um, I came home, because I get kicked out while the women are doing the women's devotion, and that's a good thing. And I come back home, and I ask my wife, what did you teach? And she said one of her main lines was, my plan's my time. I said, wow. Part of the, and we didn't check with each other. Part of my message is what we try to keep unto ourselves. My plan's my time. I don't have time to go to another Bible study. I don't have time to sit with a bunch of men and talk about God. I don't have time to go somewhere for a prayer night. My plan's my time. It's mine, like little children. It's not ours, especially if we're believers. God gave us anything that we have. And I'm sure, I'm sure that if God came to any one of us and we've built something, a home, a, a family, a, a business, and God said, tonight, I want you tomorrow morning, sell it all, and I want you to be a missionary to India. How many, how many of us would say, oh, sure, God. What? Wait, wait, uh, it's a different voice. It's not God's voice. I've got to get that out of my head. But it took me a long time to build this, and we would argue with God. Yes, we would. Yes, we would, brothers and sisters, we would. Because that's the way we are. We don't like change. We don't like someone to take what's ours. But the bottom line is we need to have the attitude that God gave it all to us. 
and he owns it. And if he asks us for it back, we give it back to him. And we use it to further the kingdom of heaven. Verse 26. The Apostle Paul says, going back to 1 Corinthians 7, this present distress, verse 29, time is short. Verse 31, the world is passing away. The Apostle Paul had a sense of urgency, and he was a little intense. Now, many say... Um, and I've heard commentators say that, well, the Apostle Paul thought Jesus was going to come back in his time. He thought everything was going to end, so this is what he did. And some of it, I don't know how you can look back at someone who wrote half of the New Testament and got inspired and kind of knock the guy. Well, I'd like to defend Paul because I think he just had a constant sense of urgency for the lost. That's my impression of Paul. Yes, he was intense. Probably if he mentored you, you'd probably have shell shock because you wouldn't be used to something like that. He was intense, but he had a constant sense of urgency for the lost. And the truth is, it's not bad to be like the Apostle Paul, because every day, tens, hundreds, thousands of souls pass from this, this earth, in this realm, into a godless and Christless eternity. Eternity is a very long time. You only get one shot on the earth. Hebrews 9.27 tells us this. It is appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment. Reincarnation is a lie. It's done to make you feel better, all right? Life isn't a game. We either, number one, have an opportunity to make it to heaven, and here's where the disconnect is, number two, to help somebody else make it to heaven. <sighs> That's cool. Eternal life, wow, the free gift, this is great. Now, can you, you know, faith without works is dead, you, you, you fellow brother, be, be an example, talk to him about the hope that is in you. Listen, I'm, there's a lot of folks that are just happy to get into heaven, just to squeak by. The second part of it, though, is to help someone else. No time for regrets in eternity. Eternity is a long time. Verse 32. The Apostle Paul says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, that I may not put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction." Marrieds care for the things that are in the world. He's not saying that marrieds are worldly and carnal. He's not saying that. But as marrieds, we care for the things that are in the world. They're here with us. If I'm a single believer and I have the gift of singleness, it's just me and the Lord. You know, I want people to get to heaven. I want to share the gospel, all those things, okay? But if I'm married and have children, I am concerned about the Lord, but I'm also concerned about those attachments, emotional uh, attachments, in the, in the world. So I have divided interest. Again, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is, right? Now, we can look at Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. This was an awesome marriage team that worked together in ministry, discipleship together, teaching together. They were a well-oiled machine, husband and wife ministry team. And singleness doesn't always guarantee service to the Lord. There are plenty of Christian singles that Again, my plan's my time. <laughs> I don't have a wife, I don't have a kid, but I'm going to do everything so that, you know, I'm taken care of. And that's tragic because you really have an opportunity to serve God. Divided interests. 
wife, children, house, success, life stages. Life stages are good. The Bible doesn't say it's bad to own a home or it's bad to have children or it's bad to be married or it's bad to have success as long as we don't make it a God. We can allow anything that's good in our life to get in front of the Lord and now it becomes a God because all of our time and our effort and our love and our care goes to this whatever it is, good thing in and of itself, but it blocks out God. It's kind of like he gets eclipsed. So that's, that's something to be concerned about. I've heard folks say, you know, I'm, I'm working on my education. I, I'd love to read the Bible. I'd love to go to church, but I've got to get my degree first. You know, we're not promised another day of life. Another example of how we look at the Bible, number one. Now, some may say, well, gee, I can see this in the Apostle Paul and Pastor Joe. You're really doing a good job exemplifying. I feel condemned. The Bible is not to condemn us. Nobody should feel condemned. Convicted, yes. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something, you should feel convicted and you should act on that. But you shouldn't feel condemned. There is no condemnation in Christ. I would take this from another direction. The Apostle Paul was trying to prevent believers from wasting their lives on earthly pleasures and barely getting into the kingdom of heaven. And I've said this probably the fourth time now. Eternity is a long time. Yes, there'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, I believe, tells us that. I'm not saying that. But I do believe there will become a point in time before eternity is kicked in. You know, the judgment, the Bema Seat of Christ, where awards are handed out. And we may look at a lot of other people and say, I really didn't do much with my time. Well, I've got to be honest with you. If the Lord asked me, Joe, did you preach my word? Yes, I did, Lord. Joe, did you tell them the hard things in the Bible? Because a, a lot of pastors aren't doing that. Yes, I did, did, Lord. Joe, did you tell them the consequences of not obeying me and following my word? Yes, I did, Lord. It doesn't matter. I'm not looking to be popular here. I'm just looking to give what God has given and do the best way possible for us to digest God's word and apply it to our lives. Verse 35, he says this in, in another way. I don't want to put a leash on you. I like that. I don't want you to have trouble in the flesh. This was advice. These were guidelines, but it, there's a big difference. You shall not kill. You know, if you steal, this is the consequence. If you commit adultery, this is the consequence. The Apostle Paul is clear saying, these things are helpful to you, but if you don't follow them, you haven't sinned. That's a choice that you make. And with every choice has consequences. The Apostle Paul, church leaders, pastors, a church shouldn't try to run your life, but they should try to help you prevent the ruin of your life. You can go to some churches, I, I, and listen, I'm not knocking it, but some do. The shepherding movement. I mean, they let you know who you can marry, and they, they're in control of your finances, and they're really in your personal business. I don't believe in that. I don't think the church should try to run your life, but it should try to help to prevent the ruin of your life. If you're looking for that, that's what we're here for. Paul balanced their freedom in Christ with godly counsel about being serious in serving the Lord. Are we serious? Are we serious, folks? Really, are we serious? And again, let me just take a moment. I'm going to ask you a question, right? And I'm going to be quiet. And think about the first thing that gets slapped into your frontal lobe after I ask you this question, because something's going to come up. It's like bubbles. What is it in your life, think about it, that's hindering you right now from serving the Lord? I believe all of us can have something that comes to the forefront of our frontal lobe. What if Christ comes at the, what is it, the feast of, um, in the fall, the feast of the tabernacles? 
Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> uh, the Feast of Trumpets, right? Um, a lot of Jewish commentators will say, Jewish believers, that when the trumpet is, is blasted, Christ is going to come home. You see it in First Thessalonians. We see the trumpets in Revelation. And it's possible that Christ could come back one of these years on that feast. The Old Testament and the New Testament kind of come together. Interesting. It's the fall, our fall. Listen, I'm not making predictions. But it could be tonight. Who knows? could be tomorrow. But what is it, folks, that you can think about it? The one thing in your life that's hindering you from serving God. Do you think we can make some changes there? Do you think we can work on it? Faith without works is dead. That was a great chapter. The goal is to serve God without distraction in whatever state we are in. You know? And you hear all kinds of excuses. But I have to do this, but I have to do that. You could take a pocket Bible. I'll give you one if you need one. A little paperback and put it in your back pocket. And you, you got to work? That's great. During your lunch break, read the scripture. Grow in Christ. Doesn't take much to pray. Pastor Anthony talked about his commute as he's changed jobs and he's got a longer commute. He goes, I spend all that time talking to the Lord. He goes, that's really increased my prayer time, right? <laughs> Instead of getting mad at somebody from cut, for cutting you off, you know, when, when you're praying, it's kind of hard to, to really get irritated at someone. You know what, Lord, I don't want them dead. They, just, they shouldn't have cut in front of me. You know, they interrupted my prayer with you. I'm not saying he did that. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> But verse 36, the Apostle Paul says, But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. The New King James and the King James lean towards a father giving away his daughter. And we'll talk about those customs. The NIV and the Living Bible lean towards a young unmarried couple. And, um, you know, either marrying, you know, content, finishing to date with marriage uh, or just splitting apart. Chuck Smith has a third category, and he talked about, he thinks that it's a married couple that have chosen to stay married and not have sexual relations. I'm going to go with the New King James and the King James. I believe that this is, this is pretty much what it is. You know, there was an old custom, and you still see it in some societies, and even maybe a little bit in the United States, but not as much, of a father giving his daughter away, of a father screening the potential suitors, looking for wolves and beating them away with the club. So they don't, you know, you know, ruin his daughter's life or whatever. So you, there was this old custom where dads would be protective of their daughters and they would screen the suitors and they would uh, help in the process of to see who she, would, she could marry. And you might say that's a little controlling, but you know what? Uh, a father's experience and being a man himself, maybe that wasn't such a bad custom. I think dads today should be more involved. I don't have a daughter, I have a son, but I'm still going to give my opinion. Sort of like what they say in the medical community, an adjunct therapy. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I think she's a good health. Help me. No, I don't know. She seems a little shallow. Either way, I'm going to give my opinion and let him make his decision, right? The one concern was that these girls were past the flower of, the youth, of their youth. Now, that's an expression. In that culture, it meant that um, between 18 and 20, the girls were getting married young. And um, after 20, they would be past the flower of their youth. So... We're all past the flower of our youth. 
it's kind of, I don't know, it's just what they did back then. And young marriages bring their own set of problems. So you understand why the Apostle Paul was concerned about jumping into marriage. And you see sometimes a, um, a domino effect, right? You're hanging out with a bunch of people. They're all the same age. This one's getting married. That one's getting married. You feel you have to get married. No, no, don't do it that way. Or that one's getting pregnant. The other one's getting pregnant. I've got to be pregnant. This one has a house. That one has a house. We got to buy a house. Don't leave God out of the decision-making, folks. Verse 39, last two verses. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Remember, this present distress. Remember the background. All right, let's keep that in mind. Advice for remarriage. Um, if a, a, a spouse passes away, you are free. You are free to remarry. But he says only in the Lord. And we're going to come to that section, 2 Corinthians 6, that speaks of it, about being equally yoked. Two people getting together, a man, a woman, with the same interests, with the same uh, spiritual interests. is very important. Um, you know, you've got to look past the fireworks. You know, all the fireworks and the, this, the fuzzy feelings and all that stuff. Look past the fireworks and into the as long as you both shall live portion, right? It's important. A friend of mine who's not a believer, uh, he's not born again, but he said, I've experienced three things, and I'm going to give you them in order of what makes you the most happy. He said, a good marriage is up on top. And he said, below that is um, a happy single life, is his opinion. And he goes, down here is a troubled marriage. So... You know, we want to make sure the older women should be teaching the younger women. The older men should be teaching the younger men. Uh, and to really help uh, folks get a really wide-eyed view, picture of marriage. Marriage is awesome. Look at Aquila and Priscilla. Look at a lot of ministry marriages. But uh, you've got to go in there with the right tools and the right frame of mind to be married. A few points before we close. What marriage or change in status won't do or won't solve? is a commentary in the Life Application Bible, which I thought was great, so I'm going to read it. Marital limitations. Many people naively think that marriage will solve all of their problems. Here are some problems marriage won't solve. Now, I said won't solve. Number one, loneliness. You could be in a marriage and still be lonely. Two, sexual temptation. Some of this may raise some eyebrows. The grass is greener on the other side attitude. All right? It's not necessarily going to cure sexual temptation. Three, satisfaction of one's deepest emotional needs. I'm just going to digress for a moment. How many of you have read the story about the Octomom? You know, she had to have all these babies, right? Eight kids or whatever. I think she might have done it again. I don't know how many she's up to. But it's a single woman admitted that she has deep psychological issues from her past. So she's decided she's going to have all these babies, and they're going to give her the love that she never got before. Boy, is that dangerous. Pray for those kids. Actually, that bothers me. I don't want to be mean, but it bothers me. Because it's a selfishness, you know? You have children to pour into them and to love them. Not to, in, in a twisted way, make them give, them give you more than they can give you. So we come into relationships, folks, with baggage. I said this last Sunday. We need to deal with our baggage issues and bring it before the Lord. Fourth thing it won't uh, cure, marriage. Elimination of life's difficulties. Marriage alone does not hold two people together, but commitment does. Commitment to Christ and to each other despite conflicts and problems. As wonderful as it is, marriage does not automatically solve every problem. 
Whether married or single, be content with your situation and focus on Christ, not on loved ones, to help address your problems. In light of this, yeah, this is about relationships. But as we go through, we went through the book of Acts, we went through Colossians, okay, we're in um, 1 Corinthians. You really have to understand Brother Paul, the Apostle Paul. Because everything that he did, in every situation, no matter what subject it is, he had what I called his Paul-colored glasses. Once he put those glasses on, he could see things very differently. Paul would see any situation, finances, marriage, divorce, singles, um, whatever you would love, forgiveness, he always could see it in light of the cross. That was the whole backdrop. So he was basically saying, you know, we need to stop focusing on where we are in life stages, but always focus on Christ. That should be our main guiding principle. And everything else will fall into place. Last Sunday, we talked about growing where God has planted us because time is short. Today, I would say, lastly, no regrets because eternity is a very long time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we look at your word and uh, as always, we can...